Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Bootcamp. Find out how to enroll in this basic training at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio, a podcast from Heat Treat Today. Whether you're listening to us or tuning in via video on heatreattoday.com forward slash radio, we're glad to have you. We are continuing the Lunch and Learn series with members of the Heat Treat Today team. In this episode, the Heat Treat doctor, Dan Herring, talks about the Heat Treat equipment basics. For now, enjoy this episode with the Heat Treat Today team members, Doug Glenn, publisher, Evelyn Thompson, assistant editor and copy editor, Karen Ganser, senior editor and associate publisher, Michelle Rittenauer, sales, Sarah Maffitt, Heat Treat daily editor, and myself. Welcome, everybody. This is another Lunch and Learn event with the staff of Heat Treat today and the illustrious Dan Herring, the Heat Treat doctor. There you go. Dan, we're always, always very uh, happy to spend some time with you. Always a pleasure, Doug, and hello, everybody. Uh, it is an exciting topic for me because I happen to love heat treat equipment. <laughs> but in thinking about that, I love all types of heat treating, So, uh, but it encompasses equipment. That's one of my first loves. We're going to talk about three uh, types of uh, heat treat equipment today. Uh, and we'll start, if you will, with uh, industrial ovens. Uh, now, years ago, industrial ovens were very easy to uh, differentiate, very easy to understand and see. Uh, you looked at a piece of equipment, you said, aha, that's an oven. You looked at another piece of equipment, you said, aha, that's a furnace. Uh, because they, they were distinguishable one from the other pretty easily. Uh, so I'm going to give you my understanding of the differences between uh, ovens and furnaces, uh, and then talk a little bit about uh, some general characteristics of all types of heat treating equipment. Um, but ovens, first of all, are typically, and I now have to use the word typically, typically designed for low temperature operation. And when I talk about low temperature operation, years ago, the definition was under 1000 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that definition has changed over the years. Uh, we now typically say either under 1250 degrees Fahrenheit or under 1400 degrees Fahrenheit. And with all of that being said, there are some ovens that run all the way up to 1750 Fahrenheit. But what we're going to concentrate on are what I call the classic um, uh, temperature uh, designations for ovens. Um, first of all, uh, ovens are typically rated either at 500 degrees Fahrenheit, 750 degrees Fahrenheit, 1000 degrees Fahrenheit, or 1250 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you see a heat treat operation that's, that's running under, certainly under 1450, but under 1250 Fahrenheit, it may be being done in either an oven or a furnace. And let's talk about some of the distinguishing characteristics of ovens so everyone gets a feel for it. First of all, ovens uh, always have a circulating fan. So if you see a piece of equipment without a circulating fan, it can't be an oven. Because at these low temperatures, the heat transfer, in other words, how you heat a part, is done with hot air or circulating hot air. So ovens always have fans. In most cases, and years ago in all cases, but today in most cases, Ovens are metal lined. So if you were to open the door of an oven and look in and you see a metal lined chamber, that would typically be an oven. So the fan and the type of insulation or lining that's used uh, is very characteristic or distinguishing features of ovens. Uh, today, however, there are ovens that use fiber insulation, 
and even some ovens that have refractory insulated fire brick in them, refractory in them. Uh, so the lines are a little bit blurred, but typically you can distinguish them by the fact that they have fans and they're uh, metal lined. Now ovens come in either what we call batch or continuous styles. Uh, batch and continuous for all types of furnaces are defined as follows. If the workload is stationary, in other words, the workload inside the, the unit, the piece of equipment is not moving, we call that a batch style furnace. If on the other hand, the workload is somehow being transferred through the unit, we call that a continuous furnace. So there's a, a fundamental difference there, but ovens and furnaces can be both batch and continuous. Um, also, ovens and furnaces can both be either electrically heated or gas fired. But one of the distinguishing characteristics of ovens is that if they are gas fired, they are what we call indirectly heated, meaning that your burner, your combustion burner, is firing into a closed-ended tube, a radiant tube as we call it, so that the products of combustion do not intermix, if you will, or do not create an atmosphere that's used inside the oven. In fact, the majority of ovens run with an air atmosphere. That's another distinguishing feature. However, uh, there are ovens that can run inert gases. Those ovens are typically have continuously welded shells. But again, that's an exception rather than a rule. Um, but there are ovens of that type. Uh, just so everyone's aware, there are also vacuum ovens out there, uh, meaning the fact that we actually have a uh, oven chamber uh, on which we can pull a vacuum. Uh, they're less common than their, their, their cousins, the air ovens, but they are out there in industry. Uh, so we have uh, the method of heating, and the type of, uh, uh, type of movement of the hearth or movement of the load that typically um, uh, is consistent between ovens and, and furnaces. Um, what I'd like to do if I could is just show everybody a couple of pictures of some very typical, what I'm gonna call um, batch ovens to start with. And I'll try to do this with as little disruption as possible. Um, uh, maybe I'll close a couple of my screens to keep it simpler for everybody. Uh, but I'll bring up a picture and then share it with everyone. Let's see. So those, uh, Dan, you'd mentioned while you're pulling that picture up, you'd mentioned about how ovens are typically uh, metal metal lined, right? How there's a, instead of when you open the door, you don't necessarily see a soft insulation or a fire brick insulation or anything of that sort. Um, it, that, that, I guess my, my question is because it's low temperature, because it's low temperature, you're able to do the metal on the inside, right? If it was higher temperature, the metal would actually, you'd actually have some problems, I assume, with the metal. You'd start experiencing warping, and things of that sort. Is that is that the primary reason why you tend to see uh, metal in an oven and not in a furnace? That, that's correct, Doug. That would be that would be very typical. In other words, uh, the linings inside the metal lining inside an oven. Uh, and let me bring this picture up if I can share it properly. Can oh, everyone yeah. see you that particular metal lined oven there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the lining can be made of uh, steel. It can be made of uh, what we call aluminized steel. 
It can be made of zinc-gripped steel. Those are just coatings, uh, if you will, on ovens. It can be just steel. Uh, and they can be made of stainless steel. So a 300 series stainless steel. That's why you have the different temperature ratings and the different, um, uh, the different types of materials that this metal interior can be made from. But if you open the door of a metal lined oven or an oven that had a metal lining, you would typically see what you're observing or seeing here. This particular oven is having a temperature uniformity survey per, uh, performed on it, but I think it's very clear what the oven actually looks like on the interior. Ovens can be uh, very small or they can be very, very large. Uh, the picture that I'll show you now, if I can share my screen again. Hopefully what you're seeing on the screen is what we call, this happens to be a double door shelf oven. Uh, very similar to your ovens at home. Uh, you open the door, there are shelves and you can put trays of parts uh, on the various shelves. Uh, these are uh, small sometimes to the point where they can sit on a, a bench top and they can be very, very large and, and be floor mounted as this one is. So this is an example of a batch oven, uh, something that you would load and the load stays stationary within the oven. And then when you're ready, you unload it. Uh, real heat treaters un unload it with their bare hands. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that shows you're a real heat treater when you get to <laughs> uh, But ovens can come in, in slightly uh, larger sizes. And let me see if I can bring one up here. That's uh -huh. a picture yeah. of a larger horizontal oven. Uh, does everybody see that okay? Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. Now, the, the door on this particular oven is, is closed shut, but you can see the um, uh, fan system. That's that yellow arrangement that's sitting in back of this particular oven. Uh, by the way, this is not an advertisement for any one particular company. Uh, I just happen to have a, a number of pictures of ovens and I've gathered them to, to show everybody these pictures. I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. There is mm -hmm. a, a, another style of oven, if you will. Now, uh, we call this a walk-in oven. Very creative, as you can tell, because you can walk <laughs> into it. Um, now I've seen batch ovens that are, um, uh, you know, very, very small, very, very large. Ones that'll fit on a bench top and ones that are a hundred feet long, if you will. So they come in a variety of different sizes. Dan, uh, yes. I was just gonna say before you close that one, uh, and this might be a little bit off track, but uh, maybe we can just point out the burner and the gas train on that one, because that's your heat source on this one. And you can see it relatively clearly here, I think. Right, you can see that on the right-hand side, correct. Yeah. Uh, and remember, whether it's electrically heated with sheathed elements, or if it's gas fired with a typically an atmospheric type burner, uh, uh, again, you have circulating air past either the electric elements or circulating air past the tube in, into which the burner is firing. So you're relying on convection or moving hot air to transfer that heat energy to your load. Um, so again, just some different styles so everyone can see them of, of different types of ovens. I don't wanna to take too long, but I'll show you another picture of one. Um, I hope when I stop sharing, it's pretty straightforward here. But here's yeah. another, uh, this is a industrial oven. Uh, you can see the fan, which is that uh, it has a yellow uh, safety cover on it. 
but you can see the fan mounted on top of this particular oven. Uh, and this is a, um, uh, a typical oven that one you'd find in a typical heat treat shop, if you will. Uh, so ovens have the characteristics that I've pointed out. I'll bring up one more, uh, one more picture, which you might find interesting. Uh, since there are a variety of oven uh, shapes and sizes, this happens to be a monorail conveyor oven. Mm -hmm. And what you're looking at is the inside of the oven. And you'll notice that in the ceiling, there are hooks. And the loads are actually placed on the hooks and sent through the oven or pulled through the oven. This happens to be a uh, gas fired unit. And you can mm -hmm. see that it has U-shaped radiant tubes into which you're, you're firing. Now this oven is fiber lined and not metallic lined. Uh, you'll also notice that because you see different uh, colors of the tubes, um, uh, this particular shot was taken and uh, you destroyed the uniformity of temperature within the oven. Usually they're very tight. Uh, ovens are typically in the plus minus 10 degree Fahrenheit range for temperature uniformity, sometimes uh, in the plus minus five degree Fahrenheit range. So th that's basically, or those are basically some, some pictures of ovens, whether they be batch or continuous, for everyone to see and to, and to think about from that standpoint. Uh, any questions by anybody on, on ovens at this moment in time? Just a quick question. Uh, with the temperature for what classifies as an oven having gone up several degrees, several hundreds of degrees recently, now, is there a reason for that of late, like higher temperatures being used um, in industrial settings? So. It's a great question. Uh, the main reason is the materials of construction have gotten better. So we're able to withstand higher temperatures. Mm -hmm. But going to some of these temperature ratings, one of the things that heat treaters look at, and, and this is, is a characteristic of most heat treaters, if I have a process that runs at 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, or 970 degrees Fahrenheit. Let's take a aluminum heat treat example where a process is running at 970 degrees Fahrenheit. I could run that in an oven rated at 1000 degrees Fahrenheit, but I'm right at the upper limit of my temperature. So it's much better in many cases to buy an oven rated at 1250 degrees Fahrenheit and then run a process such as 970 degrees Fahrenheit, where I have a margin of safety of the construction of the oven. So mm -hmm. the oven will, will last longer. And before, um, uh, before anyone laughs too loudly here, uh, industrial ovens tend to last forever. And let's just say I'm the only person on this call old enough have seen some of these ovens retired. Uh, it's not unusual that an oven lasts 40 or 50 or sometimes even 60 years in service. Um, now ovens are used in the heat treating industry um, for processes such as tempering, uh, stress relief, uh, for aluminum uh, solution heat treatment, and aluminum aging operations uh, to do some precipitation hardening operations that run in these temperature ranges. Ovens are also commonly found in plating houses or you're doing a hydrogen bakeout operation after, uh, after plating. Um, you also do various curing of uh, uh, epoxies and rubbers and things of this nature uh, in, uh, in ovens, if you will. Uh, so there's a variety of applications. Ovens are used also for drying of components, 
Ovens are used, by the way, for drying of workloads these days prior to putting in your heat treating furnace. Uh, many times our washers are fairly inefficient when it comes to drying. So you take a wet load out of a washer, you put it into a low temperature oven uh, and maybe running between 300 degrees Fahrenheit and 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And you both uh, dry the uh, washing solution off the parts and you even preheat the load prior to putting it into the furnace. Any other questions about ovens? Little different than the ones you have at home, but really not all that much. Yeah, a couple couple thoughts uh, on it. Uh, the way I've always one other thing I've always distinguished ovens by is the the term I've heard used is what they call panel construction as opposed to like I-beam construction, if you will. So if you can imagine a sheet of metal, some insulation and another sheet of metal, that's a panel, right? Because it's got enough insulation in it because the temperatures are not excessively high that you really only need kind of those three layers. And I realize this is probably oversimplified, but you take those panels, you put them in a, you know, a square or whatever, put a lid on it, put a bottom on it. You basically have an oven right? Where furnaces are not typically constructed that way. They're constructed more with, if you know what an I-beam is, you know, you have a support structure on the outside and then a, a metal, a heavy metal plate, and then you build insulation on the inside of that. It doesn't even need to have metal on the inside. It can be brick or uh, other type of insulation, but it's a much more, many people claim, and I'm sure there's some very strong ovens, but most people will say the oven construction is not as hardy, not as, not as, as, uh, as rugged. Exactly. As rugged. Yeah. So that's one other, that's one other minor distinction, but the, the main distinction I think that I always keep in my mind is there, they tend to be lower temperature. That's, that's yeah. really the main, the main distinction. So. Yeah, that's very, that's, that's very correct, Doug. In panel type construction, there's typically mineral wool insulation yeah. in between the two panel sheets, if you will. Um, uh, and it's, very, it's rated for obviously very low temperature. Uh, there are what we call uh, light duty and heavy duty ovens. Interestingly yeah. enough, heavy duty ovens have that plate and uh, uh, support structure, if you will, those I-beams or channels supporting the external structure. Yeah. And then the last comment you reminded me, Dan, was they, we talk about ratings, right? Oven ratings, furnace ratings, that type of stuff. That's pretty important. We, we didn't, haven't really discussed that much, but a if a furnace is rated at a certain temperature, you do not want to take that a furnace beyond that temperature. Because there, I mean, there are real safety issues here, right? The the uh, insulation may or the uh, the the seams. There was one picture that Dan showed around the when he showed that. I think it was the first picture where he showed the the inside where you could see the metal. There was a there was a uh, like a, a gasket, if you will, around the whole opening. That gasket is only rated to go up so high in temperature. If you go over that temperature, you end up deteriorating that that uh, that gasket, if you will, could cause a fire, could cause leak if there's, you know, could cause all kinds of issues. So, and that's only one example. One of the other one he mentioned fans. There's almost always a fan in an oven. And if you take the temperature of that oven over its rated temperature, all of a sudden the bearings in that fan start, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So... They you always want to know the rating of your of your oven and furnace, but you always want to know the rating and don't push the rating. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, exceed temperature in an oven, typically the fan starts to make a lot of noise and <laughs> yeah. you know you're in, in trouble. You only do that once. But those are excellent <laughs> points, Doug. A absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the world of ovens, although it's integral, an integral part of uh, heat, tr heat treating, uh, ovens are a beast onto themselves, as I like to say. Uh, construction is, is a factor in other things. But let's talk for, for a moment or two about furnaces. 
Uh, furnaces, interestingly enough, can be rated also at very, very low temperatures, all the way up to what I call very, very high temperatures. In other words, you can see industrial furnaces running at 250 or 300 degrees Fahrenheit or 500 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,000 Fahrenheit at, at typical temperatures that you would associate with oven construction. But you can also see furnaces running at 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit, 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 24, 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, there are some very interesting furnaces out there. But furnaces are typically, um, although they can run in air, and there's a number of furnaces that do, typically furnaces run some type of either inert or combustible atmosphere inside them. So furnaces have typically have an atmosphere and they do not always have a fan because the rule is the higher you go up in temperature, the more any moving part inside your furnace becomes a maintenance issue. So many times furnaces um, uh, do not have, um, have fans in them. Now, they can be electrically heated, they can also be gas fired. But in this particular case, they can either be direct fired or the burners are actually firing into the chamber and the products of combustion becomes your atmosphere. Or they can be indirect fired, like we discussed with ovens, fired into a radiant tube as a source of, of heat or energy. Um, furnaces typically, as you said, have plate construction. It's typically continuous welded. They have channels or I-beams surrounding, if you will, the structure to make it rigid. Insulation is put on the inside. Traditionally, it's been insulating fire brick, but in, in what I'll call recent years, the last 20 years or so. It might be horrifying for some on this call, but uh, over the last 20 years or so, uh, fiber insulations have, have come about and uh, uh, they perform uh, very, very well. Uh, fiber insulations reduce the uh, overall weight. Uh, they have advantages and disadvantages a refractory lined unit can have a great uh, thermal mass due to the storage of heat inside the insulation. So when you put a cold load into a brick lined furnace, the heat from the lining will help heat the load up. So the load responds very quickly. You don't have quite the same uh, heat storage in a fiber insulation. Um, but on the same time, when you go down, when you go to cool a furnace, um, uh, a fiber line furnace will cool very quickly, as opposed to a refractory furnace, which cools a lot slower. But again, um, uh, uh, furnaces can be uh, batch style, they can be continuous style, they can be fairly small in size. Uh, the smallest ones that I've seen typically are about the size of a loaf of bread. Or you have uh, furnaces that are so large, you can, uh, um, you can drive several vehicles inside them, if, uh, if not other things. Uh, so as a result of that, um, what differentiates them or distinguishes them are typically their temperature rating and the fact that they use an atmosphere. Um, just quickly, some of the atmospheres that you may be aware of, of course, they can run air, they can run nitrogen, they can run argon. Uh, I've seen them run endothermic gas and exothermic gas, which are combustible atmospheres, or methanol or nitrogen methanol, which are also combustible atmospheres. Um, they can run steam as an atmosphere. Uh, I've seen, atmos I've seen um, uh, ovens running, or uh, furnaces, I'm sorry, 
running uh, sulfur dioxide or carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide as atmospheres. So the type of atmosphere that's used in an industrial furnace can be quite varied. We'll return in just a moment, but first let's listen to a word from our sponsor. Sign up to go to Pittsburgh this September 18th through 20th, 2023. Heat Tree Today is hosting the second annual Heat Treat Boot Camp, a basic training to benefit new hires and old hires who want to learn about how the North American heat treat industry works. We're talking the main players, products, processes, markets, materials, and future trends in the North American heat treat market. That is, who are the main equipment and surface suppliers? What products are they selling? What are the popular processes in heat treat? What markets is heat treat most important to? And what materials are most often heat treated? This is the perfect training to help you walk and talk the industry and will not be overly technical. Also, you'll have many opportunities to network in the welcoming, exciting Pittsburgh downtown venue, the Doubletree Hotel. Go to heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp to register for this training in Pittsburgh. Again, that's www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. Now, back to the episode. But you might be asking yourself, what types of furnaces are there out there? And we have several different categories that, that typically are, are talked about. Uh, batch style furnaces are configured as box furnaces very similar in shape to the ovens that we look, looked at. Pit-style furnaces, where you have a cylindrical furnace that actually is quite tall and fits down usually into a pit that's dug in the floor, the factory floor. So you have box furnaces and pit furnaces. You have what we call mechanized box furnaces. Those are typically today would be called integral quench furnaces or, uh, or sometimes uh, batch quench furnaces or IQs. You've heard those names or will hear those names. Uh, there are bell style furnaces. There are uh, gantry style furnaces. There are tip up furnaces. There are car bottom furnaces. So there's a wide variety of batch style furnaces, all of which have the characteristic that once you put the load into the chamber, it sits there until it's been processed and until it's time for you to remove it. Uh, the exception is in an integral quench furnace, you push the load typically either directly into the heating chamber or into a quench vestibule and then into a heating chamber. You heat it in one chamber, you transfer it out and you quench it into another chamber. Um, but those are some of the distinguishing features of, of uh, uh, batch style equipment. And I've got a couple of pictures here that might, uh, uh, you might find interesting if we can, uh, if I can share those for a moment. Uh, I won't show you all these pictures but I'll bring up a couple of them that you might find interesting. Uh, the first one uh, will certainly maybe confuse a little bit, but uh, that's what we like sometimes is a little confusion in our lives. Here is, a, um, here is a, what we call a box furnace. And you might say to me, oh my gosh, it looks like an oven. I see a fan on top. Uh, it's a box style. Uh, so from the outside, it's hard to tell whether it's an, pardon me, an oven or a furnace. I see two fans, Dan. Sorry. I see a fan on top of the control panel as well as the, as well as the other fan. Yes. The, the fan on top of the control panel is probably designed to keep the operator cool. Uh, most, most heat treat shops run a very pleasant 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but I've seen them up at 130 or more and uh, floor fans are sometimes very nice. Um, but anyway, as you look at this unit, uh, you might see that it's made of, of plate construction. 
So it would be difficult to tell if this unit were an oven or a furnace, uh, a heavy duty uh, oven or furnace, uh, unless you of course opened the door and looked inside. And you would typically see either fiber insulation or insulating fire brick in these types of units. Uh, so sometimes just by, by sight alone, it's very difficult to tell uh, if it's an oven or furnace. But there are other, other uh, telltale signs. And oh, I hope this one is going to share properly. If this is too small, tell me, guys, and I'll, I'll try to blow it up. Now, this is a box furnace with a retort inside it. Mm -hmm. In other words, the workload is placed in this case into a metal container that's physically moved on a dolly into the furnace itself. So this is what we call a box furnace with a retort. And the process takes place inside the retort. You'll notice that there's a flow meter panel there of different gases that are introduced directly into the retort. Uh, this style of furnace is, uh, uh, is very interesting because the furnace itself uh, outside the retort is simply heated in air. So it's a relatively inexpensive construction. Also, when the time comes that the process is finished, usually you can remove the retort mm -hmm. and introduce or put a second retort into the furnace. Well, the first retort is cooling outside the furnace. So it lends to uh, increased production from that standpoint. But this is typically a box furnace. It looks like a big box. In this case, the shell would be continuously welded. Uh, I'm sorry, in this case, the shell does not have to be continuously welded because yeah. the process takes place inside the retort. You might be able to see just past the dolly, there's a, a dark colored, and that's actually the blackish retort that's actually mm -hmm. being, being put in. But there's a, another example of a, of, a, of a box style furnace. Let me get a pit style furnace for you. Yeah, and it, just, to, just to mention, as you're pulling that up, Dan, in, I don't think you mentioned this, but I was distracted there for a minute. But I think the retort, the reason you have the retort most of the time is to protect the atmosphere, right? You want to, you're putting it inside something that's relatively, relatively airtight. Uh, that, that's correct, Doug. The, the idea is the fact that it's an effective use of your, your atmosphere. The other thing you can do with a box furnace with a retort is you can pull a vacuum on the mm -hmm. retort. So yep. as a result of this, you can actually have what we call a hot wall vacuum furnace. Um, yep. That's what is defined as a hot wall vacuum. But the next furnace we're going to look at, or the next type of atmosphere furnace we're going to look at is pretty distinct or pretty unique. This is a pit style furnace. And what you're seeing here is um, you're seeing only that portion of the furnace that uh, is above the floor. Uh, there is probably uh, four times as, as much furnace below the floor as there is above the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, now OSHA has certain requirements. You have to be 42 inches above the floor not to have a, a railing or a, a security system around the, around the pit furnace because you don't want to accidentally trip and fall into a furnace at 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, we, we'd say Doug was a great guy, but the last time I saw him, anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, you'll notice in this particular case, there is a fan which is mounted in the cover of this pit style furnace. Most pit furnaces are cylindrical in design. However, I have seen them rectangular in design. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them have a retort inside them. Unlike the picture of the box furnace with the retort, the retort is typically not removable in this case. Of course, there are exceptions. There are nitriding furnaces that have removable retorts in them 
and things of this nature. But I think this is a very distinctive design that if you walked into a heat treat shop, you'd say, you know, that's either a box furnace or an oven. Or if you looked at this style furnace, you can clearly see it's a pit furnace or what we call a pit furnace. Mm -hmm. uh, now, two other examples, one of which is, is just give you an, an idea of what we call an integral quench furnace. Uh, I think this is a, a good example of one. They're made by a number of manufacturers. This is probably uh, one of the more common furnaces you're able to see. This is an integral quench furnace. It actually has a, in this case, an oil quench tank in front and a heating chamber behind. So this would be what we call an in-out furnace. It goes, the workload goes in the same door that it comes out. The workload goes in the front door and comes out the front door. But once the workload is loaded uh, into an area over the quench tank, which we call the vestibule, an inner door will open and the load will transfer into the heating chamber, which is in back. That inner door will close, the workload will be heated and either brought up to austenitizing temperature, carburized or carbonitrided. The inner door will then open, the load will be transferred onto an elevator and either lowered down into a quench tank, typically oil, or in some cases, depending on if the unit is equipped with a top cool, the load is brought up into the top cool chamber to slowly cool. So these styles of furnaces do processes like hardening, carburizing, carbonitriding, annealing, normalizing. Um, you typically don't do stress relief in them, but I'm sure people have. Um, so these furnaces have a wide variety of uh, uses and are quite popular. And again, the style is very distinctive. Uh, they typically run a combustible atmosphere and you can see some of that atmosphere burning out at the front door area there. Hopefully everybody can see that. So those are examples of, of batch style furnaces. Uh, or some of the more common batch style furnaces. Um, there are also uh, what we call continuous furnaces or continuous atmosphere furnaces. Um, they are furnaces where you have a workload and somehow the workload is moving through the furnace. Uh, a good example of that is a mesh belt conveyor furnace. Uh, there are also what we call incline conveyor or humpback style furnaces. Um, the mesh belts are sometimes replaced if the loads are very heavy with a cast belt. So we have a what we call a cast link belt furnace. Um, the furnaces can sometimes look like a donut or being cylindrical where the hearth actually rotates around. So we put the workload in, it rotates around, it either comes out the same door or comes out a second door. A lot of times rotary hearth furnaces have a press quench associated with them. So you're heating apart or reheating apart in some cases, getting it up to temperature, removing it and putting it into a press that comes down and tries to quench it, in, it, it hold, by holding it so that you reduce the distortion. There are other style furnaces, typical of the, let's say the fastener industry, which are rotary drums. Uh, those furnaces you would, would load parts into and you actually have an inclined drum, typically they're inclined, with flights inside it. So the parts tumble from flight to flight as they go through the furnace. 
and then usually dump at the end of the furnace into a quench tank. Uh, for very heavy loads, there are what we call walking beam furnaces, where you put a workload into the furnace and a beam lifts it, moves it forward, and drops it back down. So it's a lift, move forward, and drop down. Uh, walking beam furnaces uh, can handle tremendous weights. Um, 10,000 to 100,000 pounds in a walking beam is, is not unusual. Any of the other furnaces we're looking at wouldn't have nearly that type of capacity. Uh, there are some fun other furnaces that I like to talk about, which are shaker furnaces. Um, how do you like to work in a plant where the furnace uh, floor is continuously vibrating, usually with a pneumatic cylinder, so it makes a tremendous rattle. Uh, all eight hours or 10 hours of your shift, it's uh, <laughs> that and a bottle of Excedrin will, will help you in the evening. Uh, maybe a stiff drink or two, but I won't get into that with... Uh, with after, work, after work, after work. After work, after work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then there are also, as, as a last example, there are monorail type furnaces yeah. where uh, we saw that you hang parts on hooks and the hooks go yeah. through the furnace and, and heat the parts. I'll show you just a couple of examples of those. This are not designed to, um, uh, not designed, if you will, to cover all the styles of furnaces. Uh, but this one you might find interesting. Uh, and this is a typical continuous furnace. This would be uh -huh. a humpback style furnace <laughs> where the parts actually go up an incline to a horizontal chamber. And then as you can see, go down the other side uh, and come out the other end. Uh, these furnaces typically use uh, atmospheres like hydrogen which is yeah. lighter than air and takes advantage of the fact that hydrogen will stay up inside the chamber and not migrate, or at least not a lot of it migrate down to floor level. But there's a typical example of a continuous furnace. I have a question. Um, with the inclines, are they heated in any way or what is the, per why do the parts need to go up an incline just to get to the heated part? Well, th that's a great question. And what happens is if you're using an atmosphere such as hydrogen, it's much lighter than air. So if you had a horizontal furnace, a furnace that was just at, at let's say, uh, 42 inches in height running through horizontally, the hydrogen inside the furnace would tend to wind up being at the top of the chamber or the top of the furnace. Whereas the parts running are running beneath it, if you will. So the, the benefit of hydrogen is lost because the parts are down here and the hydrogen tends to be up here. By using an incline conveyor, the, once you go up the incline, the hydrogen covers the entire chamber. And therefore the parts are exposed to the atmosphere. Um, about, uh, I did a study a few years ago, about 6% uh, of the 5-6% of the, uh, of the uh, types of mesh belt furnaces in industry are actually this incline conveyor type. Uh, another good example, very quickly, is the fact that uh, people like to run stainless steel cookware. I've seen uh, pots, pans, I've seen sinks and things of this nature. Sometimes you need a door opening of, of 20 or 24 inches high to allow a, a sink body to pass into it. Well, if that were a conventional horizontal furnace, uh, you're limited to perhaps nine to maybe at most 12 inches of height. And typically you'd never want to go that high if you can help it. Typically, four to six inches would be typical. So there would be a tremendous safety hazard, among other things, to try to run a door opening that's 24 inches high. But in an incline furnace, the height of the door can be uh, uh, 20, 24, 36 inches high. 
uh, the chamber is at an 11 degree angle and you have to get up to the heat zone, but uh, they run very safely at that. Yeah, good question. Good question. Anybody else, any other questions? I just have one, Dan, just as a clarification of a definition of terms, is the, the retort. Is the retort then, and from what I gather, was an area within or right at the beginning of the furnace that is airtight? And then are you able to go and take that retort out? Or I, I was, I'm just a little confused about what retort is. Okay, no, that, that's a great question as well. Uh, think of a retort. Uh, there are two types, but think of one as a sealed can. Okay, uh, a can with a with a lid you can open, put parts in, and then put the lid back on. So the retort we saw in that box style furnace is that type. Um, so it is a sealed container. Maybe I won't call it a can. I'll call it a container. Uh, and we call that typically call that a retort. Now, in that pit furnace we saw, the, the vertical furnace that we saw, um, there, is a, there could be a retort inside that one, but typically they could be sealed containers, but typically they're just um, uh, open sides, if you will, that are made of alloy. Uh, we call those, uh, sometimes we call those retorts as opposed to muffles. But uh, or shrouds in another case, but uh, so muffles don't have to be a sealed container, but they typically are. That's the way to think of them. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Dan, thank you for joining us. Um, it was a really valuable time. Just wanted to close that out. Well, thank you. Uh, my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Dan Herring. Give Heat Treat Radio a five-star review or a like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or the website www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. If you'd like to get in contact with Dan, head over to www.heat-treat-doctor.com. You can also email Dan at dherring, with two R's, at heat-treat-doctor.com, or email me and I can put you in touch. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. As always, if you have a new or interesting idea that you want to hear discussed on Heat Treat Radio, let me know. Also, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, let me know at bethany at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank Heat Treat Bootcamp for sponsoring this episode. Sign up to network and learn tons at this basic training when you search www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I'm Bethany Leone. Thank you for listening. Thank you.